0: It is the Chicago vs. United audio podcast, your Chicago scene salvation, featuring interviews with the premier talent and tastemakers in the Chicago music community. My name is Hyman Black. I host this podcast every week at chicagoverseunited.com. This week, joined by co-host Chris Payne for a very special show in conjunction with Q101's local 101, featuring in-studio guest Jimmy Chamberlain, formerly of Smashing Pumpkins, currently of Skysaw, in advance of his new band's headlining spot tonight at the Metro. Here's how that sounds. I'm a black in the studio, Local 101 and Chicago vs. United. I'm in here with Jimmy Chamberlain, one of Chicago's modern rock legends. Thank you so much for being here. I and like and that. Chris Payne is in here Dude, that's awesome. As well. That's way better than Little League coach. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't say anything about me. <laughs> and Chris Payne of Local 101, the esteemed
0: long-running Q101 local music program. <laughs> Jimmy, how, how's it going, man?
2: Fantastic, yeah. Doing great. I'm just down here right now doing uh, a JBTV thing with Jerry Bryant, one of my, just a huge supporter of mine. And Total institution in the city. cornerstone of Chicago music, and I think every band I've ever played in has done a JBTV thing. Fantastic to see Jerry still doing it. Don't know how he does it, and nobody really does. Nobody has an answer to that, but he yeah. does it, and he has a man- magnificent studio down there. And
0: Absolutely, it's a fantastic facility. And
2: you know what's great about Jerry is like... I hit him up about three weeks ago and i said hey we're doing a metro show would you want to come down and film it he said no i got something going on saturday but why don't you come down friday and we'll film your whole set in the studio I mean, and that's awesome. Yeah, you can get actually get something done with somebody in the music business without having to go through a lawyer.
0: I had a whole list of questions that were going to be like talking about your new band, Sky Saw, talking about your new album, uh, Great Civilizations. But you and I, before the mics were on, you know, and Chris Payne and I have been having this discussion as well. We had um, Tim from Rise Against on Local 101 earlier today. And the discussion of the day has just kind of been about the changing music industry. I mean, you know, radio stations are making adjustments, not, not, naming any specifics, but there's all these things happening. And I know that you're a veteran of the music industry now. It's like, how do you feel about kind of mm-hmm. where things lie, you know, on the For artist radio. side or on the industry yeah. side?
2: Well, you know, I think I think it's really unfortunate what's going on with radio, and that's and that's part of some bureaucracy that we uh, don't choose to participate in, but we're uh, swept up in, and 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 oftentimes we don't end up having a vote in which way it goes. Um, a similar thing happened to some friends of mine at Indie One Hundred Three, of course, in L.A., yeah, where, yeah. which is. Uh, which has now uh, been fossilized. What I notice uh, being a quaternarian uh, and a veteran of alternative. <laughs> I don't doc, know what that means, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I know you mean it. Know means it.
0: he's a it war means. hero. <laughs> it
2: means you're 42. That's what it means. <laughs> um, I think the problem. One of the problems uh, with the current musical paradigm is that at some point it ceased to be part of a cultural movement. And I'm talking about alternative rock. And I, and mm-hmm. I think in, in the 90s, it was kind of easy to take part in music because with MTV, in order to participate in the culture, if you were a 15 to a 30-year-old, in order to participate in the culture, you had to go to shows. Yeah. You had to go to the metro. You had to stage dive. You had to wear the clothes. If you wanted to get a date with a girl— you had to have the pumpkin record. You had to have the Nirvana Doc record. Doc Martin, right? You yeah. had to have it. You had to part- You had to go to shows to participate in the cultural movement. And I think what has happened as is, is that music has ceased to be ceased to be a part of a cultural movement and alternative music especially has become background soundtrack to people's lives who have busied themselves with other things uh, if you look at the dj scene uh, if you look at dj tiesto or any of those guys who are playing the ultra festival mm-hmm. because that music is a part of a cultural movement there's a huge success jazz is a success because it's part of a cultural mu- movement I think for rock and roll, it really needs to be a part of a movement. And that's one of the problems I have with social networking is it really pulls the curtain back too far. I'll give you an example of my uh, just one of my real-life examples. My daughter is 8 years old. She plays the piano. She's a huge music fan. She has an iPod, and Mm -hmm. she has a record player. And every week we go down and raid Dad's vinyl collection. Uh, Right now she's got like uh, Fifth Dimension uh, she's loves Earth, Wind, and Fire. She's got Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. She loves Neil Young. We just pick out good music for her to listen to. If I walk by her room and she's listening to a record, she's sitting on her bed and she's staring at a cover, a cover of a record.
0: And I guarantee and, no other eighth grade or eight-year-old girl in her class is doing that.
2: But I'm telling you, she's having a musical experience. Yeah. She's looking at art and she's experiencing art. If she puts on her iPod she's cleaning her room, she's working on the computer, she's not having a she's not participating it, it in the experience. It is background. And I think by tweeting and telling everybody that hey, I'm just like you, it takes the mystery out of music and I think it ceases to participate in the culture. Now, another example is pick a favorite painting of yours. Say say you were looking at a Rembrandt. Well, you have your own idea of what that painting means to you. But what if you knew, like, Rembrandt, like, off to the side, was eating, like, a dish of pancakes and, like, some (laughs) buttered toast or something? I mean, it takes on a whole new connotation.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, I totally agree. And I know, I mean, Chris, growing up on, I'm sure, bands like Kiss and stuff that had, like, the whole kind of, like, arena rock theatrics and... I mean, you know. we used to
2: sit around and talk about the guy on the Zeppelin 4 cover with the bag of sticks, man. We yeah, were like, right. who is that guy? <laughs> yeah. Like, we wanted to know. And then when you found out one little thing about a band, it was exciting. But Dude. if you want to know, like, John Mayer is at the Whole Foods, like, buying, like, kumquats or something, I mean, how rock is that? Yeah, it's not. I mean,
1: yeah. I, and and I love Pink Floyd loved, album covers right, were pretty exactly. amazing. Yeah. Absolutely,
2: or Zeppelin or any of that yeah. stuff, because it created culture.
0: I mean, I remember being in eighth grade and and buying the Zero shirt. Absolutely. And seeing everyone else in the Zero shirt, and you were like, I am part of this movement that's happening. You're
2: creating something that's iconic, that identifies with a generation, and I don't think that anybody has done that up to this point. And I used to tell people look, you can have marketing meetings about how to sell people your soap. (laughs) <laughs> and you can talk all day long. And you can inject millions of dollars into your marketing plan to figure out how I'm gonna get Joe and Larry to buy my soap. But I'll tell you what, if you make the world's greatest soap, you don't have to have the marketing meeting. The soap sells itself. It just because has to Joe touch and people. Larry go out and tell all their friends how good they smell and it's a slam dunk. And I think with the ease of music and the, the ease of by which people can produce music, it's really, it's lowered the bar substantially. But I think that I really think the other side of this coin is the next Dylan is right around the corner and he won't be tweeting. He'll be writing songs about what the hell's going on in this country. Why isn't there a radio station? Why are people afraid to say what they think? Why are people living in a fear-based artistic movement? Why is everybody so afraid to be an artist? Because yeah. artists artists aren't afraid to say stuff, but people who want to sell records somehow are. It doesn't really add up for me.
0: Where did you start to see that shift? I mean, you know, you're someone who's been recording since the late 80s.
2: Well, Chris, I mean, in the late 90s. I mean, right, right. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, look at the format changes. Look at look at what this radio station has had to endure. I mean, Look at the Warriors, look at the Neil Youngs of the world, and look at the flack they've had to take. In order to be artists, being shunned by uh, an entire generation because you, you're so confident in your in your material, you're okay to wait for the next generation. And maybe the next generation will read more books than the generation that shunned you. I mean, you really, it's a bet on yourself world. And you know it. You guys do it every day. I do it every day. I've made some great decisions. I've made some not so great decisions. But you know what? I get up, I practice every day, and I know I can play the drums. Right. It's like, that's good enough for me. And people ask me, like, well, don't you miss playing on a big stage? Uh, you know, don't you miss playing those hit songs? And it's like, yeah, a part of me says, yeah, those songs were fantastic. But I've also had epiphanies and some of my greatest musical moments in my own basement just by learning stuff. Mm-hmm. So the the art doesn't change it's just the canvas changes a bit
1: I, I thought the last band you, you had uh, a few years back was pretty incredible too I mean I really liked uh, you know the the dude that was uh, singing vocals I think you had a couple of vocalists uh, Jimmy Chamberlain now. Complex, Complex. Yes, yes yes the Complex that yeah. was it man that was amazing uh, well
0: that was a really yeah it was a very like risk taking record and, the, yeah. and there were a lot of different styles on that Yeah, and we Absolutely. played the shit out of one of those songs <laughs> off that album and I yeah, can say we that did. because life it's life begins again <laughs> yeah and this is a podcast so you can say
1: anything you want um, and we did, man. We loved it. Still do. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's what it's about. It's really, you know, all that other stuff that the kind of like, hey, like me because I'm your friend and if you like if I'm your friend, will you buy my record and all that stuff. It's like I just it just for me, it's like I feel I feel like I'm over I'm past the point of having to make excuses for myself, and it's like you either like the music or you don't, right. and I don't really get caught up in the people that don't like the music. There's a lot of stuff that's great that I don't like. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not I don't pretend to be the world's greatest progenitor of what's great and what's not. I have my own tastes. They're very. Outside, my wife's tastes aren't like mine. I mean, even my daughter's taste. I mean, she loves Thelonious Monk. I mean, I love Thelonious Monk. She likes the Carpenters. eh. you know. I mean, <laughs> thank God. You
1: know, I hate to terminate this interview. Yeah, right. Exactly. So,
2: so taste is a is a relative thing. Um, but I think you're gonna you're going to see, and there has to be there has to be a turning point soon where people realize that by prepackaged, gift wrapped music you're not experiencing art at a high level. You're just experiencing background noise. I mean, there's a resonance that ceases to exist. There's an analog resonance in real music that makes people respond. And that's why the Pumpkins, the Complex, Skysaw have all recorded to tape, with no pro tools, no click tracks, because we feel that as humans and musicians, what we make is art, warts and all. Why would you want to take some of the, one of the greatest songwriters of all time and th- run them through a computer? Because once you do that, you cease to have a human experience. The human experience is about resonance and resonance with all the imperfections. I mean, that, that phase shifting and all that stuff that goes on around us makes us respond. When you hear a drum beat, played through a drum machine yeah okay it might sound cool but how long is it going to keep your interest not as long as watching keith moon i mean that's for sure <laughs> yeah i mean the, the,
1: you hear stories about how during the recording there's a, a cymbal crash and it just happened to hit at the right time in the song so they leave it in absolutely you know instead of why take it out you know it's part of what was happening at the time and it's just, just amazing you know. you those f- days are long gone though man well you know maybe it starts again with your new project well
2: you know <laughs> i can only hope I think if you go back and listen to some of those records, uh, I listened to uh, the Derek and the Dominoes, oh, yeah. Layla Sessions with Dwayne Allman a couple of weeks ago, and I was just downstairs in my workout room working out. They would never leave that stuff in at the end of the song. And there's, there's songs that just end because somebody screws up, and that's the end of the song. They don't even play it again. That's just the version on the record. It's like, man, that's confidence in art. I mean, you know, that's that's living in a non-fear-based world
0: what would you tell the the artist you know because because maybe if i'm an artist listening to this maybe if i'm in a band listening to this podcast listening to this interview i'd say well that's easy for you to say you were in the smashing pumpkins people know who jimmy chamberlain is but if I'm a kid in, it's like, easy
2: to have integrity when you live in a mansion, right? Right, you know that's that's, a, that's, that's, that's what, what people I tell my say. <laughs> but you know,
0: if if it's some kid in like Winnetka or like Elmhurst or something, wait, in... Winnetka, come on. Well, sure, but you know, like they're living in mansions <laughs> up there, buddy. But a kid living in the suburbs who who wants to you know become a musician and, and maybe he does have aspirations of going the more integrity based route, like what well, what would you tell them? Like, what I would be... tell him
2: that the potential upside maintaining integrity in an artistic sense is 10,000 times greater than what you can achieve by playing by the rules. And I know that from personal experience. I know that because having played a thousand, thousands of shows, I can tell you that the ones people remember are the ones where you lit the stage on fire or you went down in flames. (laughs) The 999 in the middle that were okay, Nobody remembers those. You know, you're looking to move the needle here. You're looking to have an experience that people remember. You can go on Bandcamp or any of those websites and download a bunch of okay music. And I'm not saying that I'm a judge of music. I'm only saying that I'm judging the genre and the paradigm in which the music exists. And I think there isn't a cultural representation of what's going on to facilitate the listening of all that music. Because if there was... If there was a cultural movement in which you could participate, people would be digesting that stuff because it would be necessary to know about that music in order to participate in the culture. You would have to know. You would have to know who the crazy outside band from Sweden is. You would have to know that stuff in order to participate in the culture. And when you go to the UltraFest, those people have the mixtape. They have the right clothes on. If you don't have the right tape... Man, you're a week old, and a week old in today is like a 1,000 oh, years old. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, I mean, I've talked to artists on this podcast, and they talk about, you know, the second their record is finished, before they even put it out, they're like, well... This is old now. We got to start working on a new one, and then they, you know, they put the record out, and after you know three or four days, people forget about Dude, it. Dude, I'm like... so
2: over my record that just came out yesterday already. Right? right. I mean, I'm over it. I've already done it. And <laughs> you know, the thing that the thing that attracts me about music in general and, and jazz because I I love to play free jazz complex music that's fun to play because it's the one music that only takes five minutes to play five minutes worth of music. (laughs) If you want to play five minutes worth of music in rock, it takes years.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) It does. I mean, it takes years to play five minutes of music. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Yeah. Pop music as a rule. I mean, how about this for a philosophy? Think about it. Do you want to write a five-minute song and then spend 20 years figuring out how to play it better than you record right. I mean, it gets really, really tedious. Yeah. And some people can do it and some people can't. I mean, I, I can do it because I think the parts that I wrote for the Pumpkins were free enough and interesting enough to where I never got bored. And I could always change things. Billy and I had a great musical relationship where we were always looking to expand arrangements, putting in something new, we were always pushing the envelope. But to go out and play the same old kind of meat and potatoes song every night, I mean, is that the point of even being an artist? I yeah. mean, how many great master painters go out and repaint their painting?
0: Well, you know, but I mean, that was one of the things what you're talking about that I loved with the Pumpkins during the, the, the entire run of the band. And it's still going, you know, and I don't want to have this interview be about the Pumpkins, but it's like, All those records sound different from one another. Absolutely. I can't listen to artists, you know, Rage Against the Machine. Great skilled band... But every single record is the same record.
1: Unfortunately, though, some of that I do believe is fan-driven. And I was, as you were talking, Jimmy, I was thinking of a Saturday Night Live skit with um, uh, David, uh, whose last name escapes me. Uh, he was talking about how he went to the Queensryche concert <laughs> and all he wanted to hear was "Silent Lucidity" in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. So <laughs> you know, some of that I think is maybe consumer or fan-driven, where they do want to hear that radio hit song over and over and over again. And and, and that's and
2: that's and they have every right to do that as fans because I'm. Uh, Fan And when I go see somebody, I want to see them play their most impressive piece of music. Mm -hmm. But I think if I were ever to organize something like that again, I would say, okay, on this particular tour, these are the songs we're going to play. Don't come thinking that you're going to have some other experience. And on this tour, it's going to be a free expression of us as songwriters. So don't come trying. Don't come yelling "Freebird" at right, me right. because I'm not going to play. It. Well, you know, there's a time and a place for all that stuff. And the festival is a great place to play your hits. Everybody can have a good time. But as an artist, you still need room to stretch out.
0: Well, I mean, it seems like this project, Sky Saw, you know, and that's what you have happening right now. And like I said, uh, this record, Great Civilizations, it was just released earlier this week. And, you know, there are a lot of, I mean, there's like prog sensibilities. It's very like lush folk kind of guitars and, you know, and then kind of like this free spirited, like jazz almost feel to it, too. And I know that that's, you know, a background that you have. So was this just your return to kind of like a more expansive canvas? Or or what was kind of the thinking in taking on this project?
2: The real thinking was to not have any thinking. I mean, that was probably the simplest explanation was to try not to make a box. I mean, the one thing I kind of thought when I was writing, when I left the Pumpkins, I just started writing some songs and I ended up with a batch of songs. And then one of the things I, I was learning about as a student of music was how to make very complex musical arrangements whilst retaining some pop sensibility through the vocal. And when I met Mike, we talked a lot about Yes, we talked a lot about Crimson and those bands where they had extremely kind of technical musical arrangements Uh, based on odd time signatures and metric modulation and key changes, but the vocal somehow cemented the song in a pop culture. Like, if you listen to Roundabout or Mm -hmm. Close to the Edge or some of those songs, the vocal really ties it into, like, the radio. Like, you can listen to it, and people can tap their feet to it, even though Bruford's playing in 13 or whatever the hell he's doing. And I thought, (laughs) man... As an experiment or as a kind of new direction in music, or not even a new direction, but a, a direction for me to take, let's try to write things that are kind of like loosely based on ELP, ELO, uh, Ro- Roxy Music, uh, T-Rex, uh, but try to bring it into today with a writer uh, like Mike Reyna, who has something to say to this generation, who's in uh, young early 30s, mm-hmm. who is lyrically attached to a generation, and let's see what we can do uh, with that type of uh, springboard. And that was the kind of deal with with Skysaw. And then it just kind of, the idea when we first started the band was like, okay, no more record company, no nothing, no lawyer, let's just throw it out there and see what happens. And sure enough, I played it for a couple people here in town, a couple of the jam people, and I started getting these things like, hey, you should, you should get this on a label, you should put this out, and... Next thing I know, I got Jeff on the phone from Dangerbird. Hey, man, I love this stuff. I got to put this out, you know. Well, I don't really want to do a label, you know. It's a big hassle, and I'm not into it, even though you're my friend. And, you know, I, I won't say that I got talked into it, but I was manipulated into doing the label. And here I sit again. <laughs> they sent me an email on my black or my iPhone, which is not even a real phone. It's just a toy. Um, <laughs> to come here and do this interview. Well, not that I wouldn't have come on my own. You guys could have called my cell phone. It's the same cell phone. I still, phone have, it. I yeah, still right? have it. I still have it, yeah. I try not to abuse
1: the call, though. I try not to.
0: <laughs> but, you know, I mean, and we appreciate you coming up and, and doing this, which is, you know, a, a podcast and radio interview because now we're kind of living in a world where it's... It used to be that, like, Local 101... And, and radio in general is like up here and podcasts are just like you Man, couldn't 10 even
2: years ago would have and... been suicide, business suicide to upend this radio station because the radio station represented something that was vital and dangerous. Now that everybody's bought into this fear based paradigm, they're playing it so close to the chest that they don't even care about stuff like this. And that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Somebody is going to have to stand up and be the next Dylan. And it ain't going to come over Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because you can only no, write not. 60 letters yeah, or whatever right. the hell the limitation characters. is. On I didn't it. know the characters. You can't right. even get one verse of Maggie's Farm on that thing. Oh, but, man. you know, I think it's an exciting time. And I know a lot of people kind of poo poo everything uh, money, and but music was never about money. The Allman Brothers were living in their van outside of uh, uh, Criterion Studios in Miami. And working at the studio in order to have studio time at night. I mean, that's how those early Allman Brothers records were cut. Hmm. It's like, I lived in my car in Chicago. You know, people come to me and say, oh, you know, it's easy for you because you were in a huge rock band. You live in a huge house and you drive a big car and blah, blah, blah. But, dude, I drove a big car in uh, 1989. It was my girlfriend's Dodge Dart (laughs) (laughs) You know, in the Metro Alley. I mean, <laughs> I only dated girls with apartments back then because I needed a place to stay, yeah. man. i has experienced that a little bit in your yeah. life, haven't you? You know, <laughs> I mean, you go where, yeah. I mean, it wasn't an easy first four years, you yeah. know, by any means, but...
0: Yeah, I think people forget that. They just think Jimmy Chamberlain, Smashing Pumpkins, huge artists, you know, like... To give you an example,
2: like we just did a under-the-radar Skysaw tour with this band Minus the Bear, who ended up sure. being really cool, good friends of mine, and, and we figured, okay, let's go out and road test some of the material. We won't tell anybody. We'll tell all the promoters that they can't use my name. We won't tell anybody that I'm in the band, and we'll pile the five guys in a truck, throw the gear in a trailer, and we'll go out and do it. So little by little, as people start to find out that I'm in the band the word gets out and then you know people that work at the club they're going I can't believe you're setting up your own drum set like I can't believe this and I'm going well who's going to do it it it? yeah who's (laughs) going to do it how else is it going to get done this band is a new band it exists on its own (laughs) this ain't my this ain't my project to go bankroll I mean this is how music is and I, as you know, it doesn't matter how much money I have in the bank or if I could rent a plane or whatever. The music has to do the job of the music. And the band has to experience the things that bands experience on that level or else the music never grows. And I'll tell you, when you set your own drums up, you have a different experience. When the other 23 hours of the day are miserable, (laughs) you're looking for that hour. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It's a different kind of show than when you're like you're on the phone calling your personal chef because you're, uh, <laughs> your your muskmelon juice isn't ready. You know, I mean, that's the beginnings of your bad day. You know, I mean,
1: <laughs> have, you, I'm, have you ever had muskmelon juice before? No, neither have I. I've, I mean, I've I, never I, I, had that bad of a day. Right. I
2: mean, that's how <laughs> bad it gets. Right. So, yeah, you get this you know tour neuroses. I was having my personal chef juice me melon every day because yeah. I was waking up feeling acidic, and this is. Like, like, One of the most alkaline juices you can drink, so you know, it was this whole thing. But I mean, then you get on stage and you're like, Oh, wait, I'm in a band too. Like, I got, but you know, I'm this pampered person, but I'm in a band too. If it's like, but man, when you set your stuff up and you smash your finger, like, you know, some some guy who doesn't know who you are and you're the second band, they're like, You got five minutes to get your crap off the stage. You know? <laughs> like, I love that stuff, man. I'm like, It's you it's just honest, my day, man, like, yeah. game on, right.
0: <laughs> You're going to be playing the Metro tonight, Saturday, June 25th. Yeah. You know, and obviously that's a venue that has a tremendous amount of, you know, that, that you have a ton of history at. obviously. So, like, what's your feeling kind of coming back home, I guess, but in a different car, maybe? You know yeah. what I mean? like.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. You
2: know, it's a different experience. You know, I, I think I think going in there with Zwan and going in there with the Pumpkins, there's a level of expectation and you feel like that's your home court. And I feel like those bands really earned the Metro and Double Door as their home court. I feel like Skysaw still has to earn that. Yep. And I don't feel that because I'm in the band, it's a given. Yeah. And I don't feel that because I'm in the band, it should be a sellout show or that somebody should be banging my track or that I should throw twenty twenty G's at a song and do some, you know, see what see what can happen. It's like, screw all that. Let's stand on our own two feet, man to man, see who shows up. And if nobody shows up, you know what it tells me? Hey man, okay. That's all right. Let's just keep working. <laughs> there was only so many people. There was only twenty people at the first pumpkin show. I mean, that didn't, that doesn't, that stuff doesn't affect
1: us. I remember seeing you guys at Gus's Cantina in Milwaukee <laughs> yeah, right. many times back right. in the very early days, and uh, and it, it wasn't always full. Oh, geez,
2: <laughs> man, that place! <laughs> wow. But again, getting back to the Metro thing, yeah. Um, I don't feel like Skysaw owns the Metro. I feel like the Metro is a huge part of my life. But as a band, I'm a member of a band. I'm not up there as like, this is my drum clinic. This is a solo performance. This is a band. A band has to experience things that bands experience, good or bad. I mean, it's got to be, it all feeds into the, the, the greater song, whatever the heck that may be.
1: So, I'm. What was it that you said earlier, Jaima, when we were talking to uh, Tim from Rise Against? Something about bands that hit it in 10 seconds and they crash soon. What was that? Well, you yeah, that?
0: you know, you see all these artists that like come up on, you know, whether it's like an American Idol or like, you know, they win a contest. All these like contest bands, I'm going to call them. <laughs> right. You know, and then they have four minutes of preparation. They have one song on like pop radio for 10 seconds and then that's it. Yep. You know, and then, you know, they're back at like Shell Station. And that's, two weeks.
2: and that's really a short-sighted industry selling people down the river is what that is. Let's look at the history of what's happened and what's kind of gone wrong. Okay, number one, Steve Jobs invents the iPod. Shouldn't Warner Brothers have invented the iPod? Shouldn't somebody with a vested interest in music invented the iPod? I mean, that was nail one. Nail two... Steve Jobs invents iTunes. Okay, well, shouldn't Warner have invented iTunes? Shouldn't EMI have invented iTunes? Shouldn't Universal have invented it? I mean, you're talking about people who are just looking at a business and cherry-picking what's great about a business. Rock and roll is here. There's a resonance that's commoditizable that people want. Nobody seems to be able to figure out what that is. But somebody will come along who doesn't predicate their business on the sale of music at $9 an album. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Because, and I'll tell you why. Because if it costs me, let's just say I made the Sky Saw record for a hundred grand, which is somewhere close to that. Sure. Am I? Are you going to pay nine ninety nine for the record that I paid a hundred grand for? When you can buy Peter Jackson's two hundred million dollar movie for fourteen ninety nine? I mean, is there an economic disparity
0: there that kids are aware of? Well, and I mean, I think a lot of kids just don't pay for any of it. You know? Yeah, that's it's just. The- Big, if, it's, if it's if it's media, if it's something that they can experience as entertainment, there's a, almost a level of expectation but that kids like, are buying
1: at ninety nine cents uh, at a time. And I had uh, Sam from Chevelle on uh, local one hundred and one not that long ago, and I was asking about the history of the band. I'm like, you know, I see that you're, you know, you guys started out working your way up, eventually a couple platinum records, and then now that you're probably more famous and popular than you ever were in the past, you can barely sell a gold record, right? And it's because of iTunes and and buying people, kids buying singles and uh, you know and the artist is just not making as much money as they used to and it's all the free trading of music it's shameful
2: you know I agree with that but I also agree that you know it's not it's not my job as uh, a drummer in Chicago to make sure that some record company president has a gate around his property yeah you know it's not and and it's not uh, anybody else's job you know, it's that record company president's job to go out and earn that money. And that money comes from artist development. And, you know, Elliot Roberts, who's a dear friend of mine who manages Neil Young, you know, Elliot was the guy who drove in his car with Joni Mitchell from New York, Brooklyn to Los Angeles to get her signed. He found Neil Young. He found Buffalo Springfield. He was the guy. Who's that guy now? Anybody who works at a record company now would walk by five Neil Youngs to get to the next American Idol guy. And that's that's why the business is in the toilet more than ever anything there's no elliot there's no uh david geffen out there i mean those people could hear music and go that's a winner the eagles were a winner
0: i mean well you know even local 101 it, it you know and the the future of a lot of things are uncertain right now and it's like again how crazy is it that i'm doing a podcast and talking to jimmy chamberlain and that's where the industry is and i'm happy to have you here genuinely but like Because you are such an established artist, and you look at podcasting, which is like a still relatively new digital media platform, but now, like, the the industry has just turned to shit, basically, so I can... Go up and get Perry Farrell or somebody Because well, that's there's right. not other because outlets it,
2: Because it's, again, it's because it's not part of, part of a cultural movement Art doesn't exist at the P, at the top of a culture now yeah. It exists within the culture Because everybody is a musician And every musician is a somebody It's like, it takes the rock stars out of the game And those people are gone, man There'll never be another Robert Plant Because the, the society won't support it You have to have an intellectual capacity of people who read books You have to have a government that funnels money into education You need to create a society that's intellectually fertile in order to receive great art. That's one problem. The other problem is music companies are predicated on the sale of recorded music, and they've gotten extremely greedy. I think if you sold every record for $2 from now on, and you you got a company to come by who wasn't predicated on the sale of recorded music, say a company with Deep Pockets... And they sold every record for $2. They might not make any money this year. They might not make any money in five years. But 20 years down the road, they'll be selling every record there And they'll is. still be around. And they'll be supporting art in a philanthropic way that gives artists a chance to expose themselves and grow. It's going to come around. Somebody's going to figure it out. There's a commoditizable essence of rock and roll that people want to purchase. They want to feel like they belong. They, they want to like... buy
0: that Zero shirt. Right.
2: They do. Mm-hmm. But when they feel like they belong too much, then they just feel like, throughout work. Or something else, they get that feeling like, "Hey, music has become tedious. It isn't any different than searching, like you know, Abraham Lincoln or something." It becomes a
1: research paper. Yeah, it's
2: the same motor skill. It's the same, same everything. I mean, so I guess I'm, it,
1: I'm, sorry, I, I, not to, no, I guess I'm changing the subject, and I, I wanted to get back to the band. And uh, you said that you had had like a little sort of temporary tour to test the waters. I mean, are we looking forward to uh, a, a tour this summer? I mean, are you looking to get picked up on on any of these tours? You're just going to do it on your own? What, 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 what's your next step with the band? Yeah, what's the new future album plan of? Scott
2: I saw. You know, I think for me, I just want to make it as organic as possible and not really use my influence to kind of push push open any doors and, and really, I mean, I could go kicking and screaming to LA and probably find the right people to get it. But again, that would be putting the horse before the cart. And again, I don't think Skysaw is ready for that stuff right now. We need to find ourselves as a band. We need to figure it out. We don't want to go play Rock M Ring right now. We'd fall flat on our faces, man. I know that as an artist. And and having played that festival five, six times, I know that I could do it with my old band, no problem. I mean, I could put on the shirt, go play the show tomorrow, no, sh- no problem. But this band is a new band. We don't want to jump into that stuff. We're going to see what happens. We're going to do a couple more shows like 930 Club, some cool places that that are fun to play and then we'll see uh, what happens. But for me, it's got to be about resonance and it's got to move the needle. I mean, going and playing and selling records to to 200 drunks at a time, I mean, it just doesn't (laughs) appeal to me. And I know it doesn't get it done because again, you get into this whole begging thing like, oh, I saw them at the Unicorn or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there's got to be a rite of passage here. There's got to be by having integrity, you've got to make decisions that are integral integral to your own self-respect. And I mean, and I'm not saying that I won't play anywhere because I'll set my drums up outside of Wrigley Field and play because I love to play. And that's a great reason to play. And I'll go and play anywhere because I love to play. And that's probably the best reason the next best reason is because it gets something done for my guys in the band and it doesn't just burn us out
0: Jimmy Chamberlain I mean really like rock institution right here <laughs> new band is called Sky Saw the new record is called Great Civilizations and is, it's out now it is and when people are going to be able to hear this uh, you'll be playing the Metro I think we uh, go Saturday on about night. 10
2: or something and
0: I imagine people can walk up and grab tickets and come see the show and can we buy songs on iTunes
2: absolutely yeah you can buy it anywhere come to my house and I'll there you a free there, we go. there we go.
0: Uh, oh. Jimmy, thank you so much. I mean, really, this has been like a fantastic interview. Just oh, for
2: me too. I mean, a very serendipitous uh, turn of events. I mean, I'm right down the road. You guys are here in the merch mart. Yeah. I
1: actually know make... what that word means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank so Google much it for being here don't. tonight. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I love you, man. Thank you so much for coming in. We totally appreciate it. It's awesome to see you for real.
0: This has been the Chicago vs. United audio podcast, your Chicago scene salvation. Thanks to Jimmy Chamberlain of Skysaw for being on the show this week, and thanks to Chris Payne of Q101's Local 101 for sitting in as co-host. You can find past episodes of the Chicago vs. United audio podcast at chicagoverseunited.com, including interviews with members of Rise Against, Fallout Boy, and many, many more. You can follow the Dynasty Podcast Network online at Facebook, Twitter, and SoundCloud.com slash and Dynasty Podcast, and Bandcamp.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Hyman Black, Dynasty Descend.